1: And welcome to the AEW Rampage review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Daddy Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0. Oh, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a little quiz of course, on Arrest Culture. As I said, though, joined by Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage. And in case people are wondering where you have been on the AEW reviews and previews for the last week or so, Sidg, got some exciting news, haven't
2: we? We have, absolutely. I have been adding the final touches to a very large project I've been working on since February 2021, If you've noticed, my article output has diminished throughout the year. It's not because I'm a lazy bastard. Mm -hmm. It's because I've been working, drafting, writing on, refining a goddamn book all about All Elite Wrestling entitled Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, which you can pre-order right friggin' now at whatculture.bigcartel.com for the sterling price of 13 pounds 99 pence if in fact you don't want it signed if you want my signature on it it will cost you 19 pounds 99 pence but again that's totally optional 14 pounds for one hundred and twenty thousand passionate analytical in-depth insightful thoughts i would say it's a total and utter bargain i will also say that i'm incredibly proud of what I've put to paper. It is the best bit of writing I've done. It is uh, the thing I'm most proud of. And dare I say it, it's the sort of AEW analysis deep into the guts of the creative. We know the big picture of the ratings trends. AEW annihilated NXT. AEW is creeping up on Raw. AEW is outselling live events in certain markets. Directly in terms of Long Island, New York. Well, born growing up, before I realised that some matches were good and some matches were bad, and I first realised that critics like um, Power Slams, Finley Martin, and Dave Meltzer, um, two of my biggest inspirations, they would say oh, this match sucks, and I'm thinking, no, all of wrestling's cool, hmm. and I want to know why. Like why are certain matches and storylines so bad this is all great and then as i got older and i started to write about pro wrestling i really started to take an analytical approach to my writing of it i really wanted to be the person who nails why the storylines are so great because the storylines being great the pushes being so great the matches being so, so great that's what makes the numbers i tasked myself with explaining why i want to be the writer who makes you think oh that's why And i'm not um, impinging on miller's gimmick here genuinely that is what i've Mm. wanted to do throughout my career as a wrestling writer and god damn it i think i've nailed it with this book which once again you can pre-order right now at whatculture.bigcartel.com
1: yeah, absolutely. Well worth that. And uh, watch there. You can also, if you haven't already, order Sidgwick's other book in the Sidgwick bundle, Development Hell, all about NXT. Uh, great read as well, that. And uh, if you ho an extra £10 in, maybe I'll write, is this the best wrestling book ever? On the Inside Cover Forum as well. Is that going to be on the back, by the way? You know, like the blurs where it's like, you're like, oh, here's what the book's about. And then there's like, you know, Trevor McDonald. Oh, I really like this book. And all this other stuff. When is mine going to go on? Is this best wrestling book ever? Wilbo?
2: First of all, no. Second of all, you're not going to write that. It's not an option. People, you're false <laughs> advertising on my plug. Sorry, Let's talk about you, cock.
1: I should clarify if you Venmo me £10, I'll steal one of his books and uh, write, is this the best wrestling book ever on it? And then we'll, hopefully it'll get to you somewhere.
2: You won't do that. No, you I won't. will not do
1: that and it <laughs> will not happen. Go and order the book, because it genuinely is good. Uh, Right, let's talk uh, about AEW Rampage and uh, the opening match. I'll describe it in a second, Sige, but this really did put the elite in all elite wrestling.
2: I mean, in many ways. The mega fans will forgive me, because I've already exploded all of my thoughts on Twitter about this goddamn professional wrestling TV show. I thought it was amazing. And I genuinely, to answer that particular question, I'm struggling to think, Wilburne, of match atmosphere, just a wonderful match graphic in itself that was perfectly realised as this classic match, Eddie Kingston versus Brian Danielson. Like that in itself is genius. It was even better than the prospect of itself between the match and the way it segued into the next direction for Eddie Kingston subsequent to the tournament from which he was eliminated. I think this was the best 20 minutes of television I've seen all year.
1: Yeah, it was weird uh, when we were previewing it, and, and I think it was just Friday morning, uh, reporting on that, I think it was Meltzer who said, lots and lots of people left during a W Rampage. And I'll talk to you about it in due course, about whether or not you think they are going to make the changes necessary to you know combat something like that. But at the same time, no offence to anyone else on this card, in a weird way, it did make sense that you're like, well, I'm finished. I can go home now. I'm sort of done and dusted after not only, like you say, the match, but the, the post-match argument backstage with CM Punk. Sensational stuff.
2: Yeah, unfriggin' believable It spoke to literally every single one of my professional wrestling desires. There's 20 minutes of TV. Oh, my God. Go through the recap because I want to explode into my thoughts.
1: Yes, so we, uh, we start immediately with the match. Brian Danielson comes out. Eddie Kingston comes out. No messing about from him. Marching down to the ring. There's dueling. Let's go, Eddie. Let's go, Brian. Chance. And uh, they start off, you know, backing each other into the corner. Kingston starts a long process of destroying Brian Danielson's chest. He, he takes a weird, sadistic pleasure out of it. I saw the bit at the end of the match where he just sort of pointed at his chest and did this laugh. You sick bastard, Brian. Yeah. Um, that's the only chopped meat he likes. Yeah. Yeah. Just came up with that. That's because he's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brian Danielson fights back after Kingston sort of dominating early on. Flying clothesline, drop kick in the corner. Kingston goes to the outside. He's furious. He's furious with himself. And he just hoys a chair about and has to calm himself down before he gets back into the ring when he does he starts trying to sort of outmaneuver danielson on the mat he's having none of it and he is contorting kingston and stomping on his elbow and things like that Then they start exchanging headbutts lots of this didn't need this i get it right i know you two guys are great and you can do it safely and what have you please don't do any more headbutts because they terrify me especially when it involves Brian Danielson. Anyway, Kingston, he himself, it's a flying drop gig to get a huge bap from the crowd and send us into the break. When we come back, uh, Danielson's knocked Kingston out to the floor. Uh, he tries to follow up with the flying knees, but Kingston catches him and Saito suplexes him right on the back of his neck on the floor in the safest possible way, of course. Uh, Kingston, he'll take it. He dives back into the ring. He encourages the referee to Count Danielson out, and Danielson doesn't just do the hold. Oh, I'm just getting in at 9.5. He gets up at eight and stumbles. And you know what? I knew that wasn't the finish. Obviously, it's not going to be the finish. People would be on our DMs, even though we don't want spoilers saying, This was bollocks. This was the finish. But I sort of thought it might be the finish for a split second because he sold it so well of just like, Oh, God, I can't make it, sort of thing. Dives back anyway, beats the 10 count. Uh, Kingston catches him, sort of suplexes him sort of half into the turnbuckle a little bit, then turns him around into the centre of the ring, gets a near fall off the back of that, and then locks him in the, I think it was called the stretch plum. Is that right? A Submission? Yes. thing. Danielson gets to the ropes. He breaks the hold. Uh, at this point is when you really notice just how badly his chest is red raw, like Adam Cleary on Royal Rumble night. Yeah. Um, so he sets Kingston sets Danielson up for a superplex. Brian breaks out of it with, yes, you guessed it, a headbutt. He hits a superplex. Uh, and then they go back and forth. Kingston um, hits, it hits an insegurity, but then Danielson comes back with a hook kick and then just stops trying Kingston as hard as he can with the yes kicks. Um, Danielson goes for the running knee, but Kingston either drops down or collapses effectively to avoid it. And for a split second, they go, oh, there we go. Brian Danielson there checking on his opponent and he goes, you you prick, I have some of these elbows and forearms just starts battering him. Uh, No, no holding back from baby face Brian Danielson in name at least. Uh, He goes to the Fujiwara armbar. Kingston fights out of it though and uh, this brilliant bit where He swings, Danielson ducks underneath it, so he just catches Danielson, DDTs him, love that spot. They're both down, they get back up, they start battering each other again. Kingston, as a last resort, hits the spinning back fist, but he can't recover enough to get the pinfall off the back of it. Uh, And then Kingston, in his last gasp effort to try and get that pinfall, crawls over to Danielson, who immediately catches him in a triangle choke, uh, and he's raining down elbows on Kingston's head. He can't get out of it now. And it's just adding insult to injury. But Kingston, of course, will not give up. He's flipping off Danielson as the lights slowly go out for him. Uh, the referee stops the match. Brian Danielson advances to the final of the AW World Title Eliminator Tournament, which, of course, will take place at full gear. He'll either face uh, John Moxley or Orange Cassidy. But... At the end of the match as well, we see during the break, we'll move on to what happened backstage in a second, but we see uh, Danielson offering a handshake with Kingston, who's just so angry with the result, and with himself more than anything, he storms to the back. Before we get to what happened in the backstage, oh, what a match this was on Rampage.
2: Yeah, this is a classic. I want to give you two takes that appear to contradict each other, so I'll try and make sense of them. I went four and three quarters on this Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because while i couldn't watch it and think compared to some of the very 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 best pro wrestling matches i've ever seen i'm quite a generous star rater not with the fives though it has to be one of the very very best matches i've ever seen in my entire life so it wasn't that but it was also perfect it was also a perfect professional wrestling match and what i mean by that is the best match on rampage
1: i can't think of any better
2: It was the best match I've seen on Rampage. Yeah. Um, It was better than Pac-Andrade, which I thought was tremendous. It was better than Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage, which I also thought was tremendous. That was the only other one I was
1: thinking of, really, in terms of,
2: yeah. 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 Lucha Brothers versus um, Jurassic Express was absolutely incredible as well, but this is different. This had a different feeling about it. This felt, particularly in the last five minutes, like a classic. A professional wrestling match worked in this kind of structure, back and forth, designed to flatter both... Um, performers, one goes over, one gets over. This type of match of like considerable length that went 16 minutes um, and it's meant to, when you look at the match graphic and the storyline permutations subsequent to it happening, you think, well, this person's going to win. The very best pro wrestling match is cast out over the outcome. They make you feel something and they are meant to peak to a finish. At the finish, you're genuinely meant to be on the edge of your seat thinking, please don't stop, while at the same time thinking, please stop because this is the finish. Yeah. And if you go past it, you've ruined the emotion of the finish. Literally, what, five, ten seconds before the actual finish, the move that finished the match, what, f- literally five to ten seconds, mm-hmm. these two men commanded a standing ovation. I was just about to mention that, yeah. Like... Can you think of a better way to arrive at and build towards a finish than that? You've summoned a literal standing ovation from the crowd that you have in the palm of your hand five, 10 seconds before the actual result happens. What an incredible bit of pro wrestling storytelling, of pro wrestling match construction. That is legitimately genius. I can't recall the last time... in. Bear in mind, these crowds are white hot. These crowds genuinely go ballistic at what they watch because a lot of it, so much of it is great. They are very enthusiastic crowds. I literally can't recall in AEW the last time, if ever, I've seen an actual standing ovation. It's how much they were into it and how much they'd been literally unglued from their seats to the point where they're not on the edge, they are standing up and it was at the finish.
1: And this is a crowd that have already watched, what, four hours of wrestling beforehand? Yes,
2: yes. They'd seen a bit of Dark Elevation and they'd seen two hours of Dynamite. So they were deep into their fourth hour. Yeah. Um, At least. I
1: hate when you get, you know, they talk more about WWE maybe with this, but I hate when you get a This Is Awesome chant and you're like, is it? Or are you trying to convince yourselves that this is awesome? But that just felt very natural.
2: It's just a natural organic thing. And this is awesome, chance. Like the wrestlers have for years now been able to manipulate crowds into doing it. Crowds default to it when they like a match, they start going, oh, this is awesome. It's just a performative default. And they do this is something different. This is so perfectly timed. I couldn't believe the craft of this match to be able to get that standing O at the absolute perfect time. The most impressive crowd reaction at the perfect time. This is a classic. There are so many things I like about it. I'm going to miss several of them. Um, So I apologise for that in advance. My favourite moments of it were just these little snippets, these little pockets of Eddie Kingston's body language and his facial expressions. Like He psyched himself up. It was John Moxley who was talking on Observer Radio how he psyched Kingston up ahead of the match and he helped him get into that headspace where in that moment, Eddie Kingston, it's real to him or... It's real enough that he can come off it is incredibly real. He's not shooting on people or anything that like that. Little moments in this where he's getting kicked in the chest so hard with Danielson's kick chop kick chop kick chop sequence in the corner. There was a bit where Danielson's doing that to Kingston, and Kingston just defiantly grabs King uh, Danielson reverses it puts him in the corner and hits the guy so hard and so quickly that in that moment you're glued you're thinking your disbelief has been thoroughly suspended you're thinking you're watching a fight here because Eddie Kingston is making it look like he's in a fight that little snapshot of defiance aggression fury was just impeccable the bit the DDT spot was incredible. The yeah. struggle the way he made that comeback was great. The fighting spirits fighting spirit sequence at the end that culminates with the spinning back fist was just unbelievable. Great phenomenals. <laughs> great phenomenals. And the best possible illustration of Brian Danielson's new thing, that is awesome, in which he ends every single match he's in differently. My thought was this is great because. In future matches, because we are not treated like goldfish, the fans of AEW. In future matches, when he goes for cattle mutilation, you're going to be on tender hooks because he's finished Nick Jackson. When he goes for um the knee bar, was it that you finished Bobby Fish with? Or the heel hook. Yeah. When he goes for the heel hook with which he beat Bobby Fish, you're going to be on tender hooks because that's a potential finish. I thought that's genius enough in itself. He's got all these different finishes that he can apply when he does the Baisaku knee. That's going to be great. You're guaranteed to think it's a three count. Sprinkled across every other minute of these matches, he's going to do a finish that he's established as a finisher and you're going to think, Christ almighty, it's the finish. This is even more genius than I thought because to my knowledge, and I haven't seen the Aaron Solo match on dark, but to my knowledge he has not finished anyone with the Fujiwara armbar yet. Mm-hmm. However, when he applied it in this match, everyone thought it was the finish because Daniel Brian uh, Danielson doing a submission is so convincing that any submission he does would be the finish now. You can believe anything he does can hurt his opponents enough to make them tap out or pass out because that's how formidable this pro wrestling character is. This match was genius. I'm talking myself into almost giving it five stars because <laughs> as a TV match, this was absolutely incredible. Intensity, drama, pacing, immersion, just everything about this was a total masterpiece.
1: It was uh, Fury Wilder-esque, I thought, in terms of technically... Danielson's got him figured out like you see the bit where they're you know struggling on the mat and what have you and Danielson's just running rings around him uh in terms of like mutilating his arms like we talk about and you know bending him and just just outclassing him on the ground and yet you know Eddie Kingston just like you know Wilder has got that KO shot if he hits you hard enough you and then there's this it's personified by the bit you mentioned there and the bit where he plonks him up on the top rope set him up for a superplex and Brian's trying to fight out of it, and he just goes, "All right, enough of this." Just hits him as hard as he can, and Brian does that brilliant thing where he doesn't oversell. He's like, "Oh bloody hell, I'm going to fall off the top of the temple." He's just like out cold. Well, you know, to a ninety percent out cold, and all he's got is one hand just just resting on the top ropes that stops him from tumbling backwards or just you know, yeah, collapsing. Effectively, I thought it was it was great, and we got to talk about what obviously came afterwards. Um, we go backstage after this, after the break. CM Punk's been interviewed by Tony Schiavone. He's putting over his victory on Dynamite. His record now. Uh, and CM Punk's feeling very happy with himself. He's, he's smiling. He's, he's just loving life in AEW. Uh, but we can hear Eddie Kingston effing and jeffing. He's furious with, with himself and with, with everyone around him. And him, no doubt walks back through the curtain and he sees the big lights on. And there's Phil. Just smirking away, very happy. And he just storms over because, you know, he's a, in a bit of a daze. He's just woken up, let's not forget, after being, you know, submitted, not even submitted, he passed out due to Brian Danielson. He sees Punk and he storms over into him. He asks him, What's so funny? He says, I know you. I know you, Phil. I know you, CM Punk. Keep talking. Sh-. And uh, Punk's just, shocked by this he's you know when Kingston came over he's knocked the microphone out of Tony Schiavone's hand and what have you Punk's just not happy about this and he's his uh his aura changes and he says it's unprofessional I'm disappointed in you and he just gets one little, this little line of do you want to go back to sleep As a little threat to reference what happened earlier and you know we talked about it or we'd heard well Andy had told me uh Siege when we did the Uh, Rampage preview that we'd find out effectively who CM Punk's opponent for full gear would be. And I didn't want to find out any more what hell of a setup this was in, what,
2: 30 seconds? Unbelievable. One more thing on the match. I tweeted this. The mega fans will forgive me. Watch it again, because it's awesome. And when you do that, watch Eddie Kingston take the the clothesline, the flying clothesline that Danielson always does after backflipping from the ropes. Uh. Eddie Kingston looks panicked, frozen in place because he knows that there's a faster, more skilled guy about to fly at him. He doesn't just kind of do the spot Mm. where you turn around and you take the move. Even in that tiny snapshot of a moment, you can watch Eddie Kingston brace himself in panic at the move he's going to take. It's not just a move to take because you do it as a match unfolds and it's a spot that you do, that you've Agreed upon ahead of the match. It feels always like it's a fight with him. That's the key takeaway. It feels always like it's a fight with him. Uh, This post-match segment was an absolute work of genius. That speaks to my absolute, most sacredly held principles of what professional wrestling should be. Professional wrestling should exist always to help you escape and to do that, you need to suspend your disbelief. In context, I can watch the best of Dramatic Dream Team realize it's overtly, deliberately farcical. In terms of an American TV wrestling production where you're meant to take everything seriously, this goddamn segment was perfection. They've got the finish of the match and how it's set up the go-to-sleep line. Just genius. What a genius bunch of collaborators. What I loved about this, and I'm coming across like a mark for this promotion. Mm -hmm. When they do things like this, it is warranted. One thing I've criticized them for routinely dating back most of this year because it's gone absolutely OTT is that they do so many interrupted interviews backstage where it feels like if you look at it from the top down, you open the arena roof, right? And you look down upon AEW Dynamite happening, right? Mm -hmm. You're looking with a God's eye view, bird's eye view, God shot, whatever the freak you want to call it, you're (laughs) looking at people prepping for an interview. And then if you look beyond that shot, you're looking at people like lurking in the corridors, waiting for people to get interviewed. And then they like, interrupt the interviews with some trash talk or they beat them up. And you just got this, in these various alleys of the backstage area, just these people like, conspiring and waiting and it's just a wacky world where conflict always happens because that's how you drive your, the events of your television show. This was unbelievable, per, unbelievably perfect because it made sense of you need conflict because it's episodic TV and it never ends. How do you do it in the most believable and awesome way possible? You do it like this, you do it like this post-match segment on Rampage. Eddie Kingston's hot, he's pissed off, and again... It's something that he's been hot at before he got choked out by Moxley. He refused to accept that result. In his head, if he doesn't consciously say, I'm defeated, he thinks, I'll just wake up and I can still fight. He's mm-hmm. had this problem with Moxley before, which built the um, I quit match at full gear. And now he's had the same problem and he's pissed off. He doesn't take getting choked out as a match result. It's been established. You just won't have it. Even though it's legitimate, he won't have it. We know that of the character. So he's effing and jeffing. He's pissed off. He's boiling. CM Punk is pissed off in a very low-key way because his allocated TV time, he can't just come out in half an hour and say, oh, I didn't get a chance to talk. I'm going to do it. And oh my God, I'm going to have a match right now if someone interrupts. That can't happen because these things are allocated. Mm -hmm. The goddamn approach to how this is meant to be an emulation of a broadcast just delighted me. It delighted me. So Punk knows this because he's a very intelligent pro wrestling performer. Eddie Kingston, in this doesn't work, no offence, with Van Vliet or Marvez or anyone else. He knocks the microphone out of Tony Schiavone's hand. Because this is a broadcast broadcast, Because Tony Schiavone is a very respected broadcaster. That's the bone. That's a no-no. You're a dickhead if you do that. Eddie Kingston knows this. The people who booked it know this. The best person to get heat is Tony Schiavone. Slaps the microphone out of his hand. You have this verbal spar between Kingston and Punk. And the best thing about it is that Eddie Kingston gets himself into these zones. And he's so believable. And he's so hot. And he's so passionate. And he's so on fire that either one or two things has happened. One, CM Punk is working, He's understated. He looked a bit rattled, CM Mm. Punk here. He wasn't the smoothest. He wasn't the most... He didn't have the most bravado when he was squaring up to Kingston. He looked a tiny bit rattled. One or two things has happened here. Both of them are brilliant. One, he genuinely is, because Eddie Kingston is so on fire. Or two, he is so goddamn good at selling. And I think given his work and his matches... I'm going to go with CM Punk so great at selling. He seemed a little bit rattled by all this. And then he said, Oh Christ, we're out of time, aren't we? Because guess what? He can't just come out 20 minutes later and say, Ah, I'm just going to come out. <laughs> and oh, someone's going to interrupt me. No, because it's allocated matches, because they want to make this believable. This is perfection. I can't wait for Wednesday to see how this is followed up. I cannot wait
0: a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Before
1: we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now we all carry around different stresses. They can be. Well, let's continue with what came next, which was the trilogy match between Matt Seidel and Dante Martin. Dante Martin now, of course, with Leo Rush and in his corner. And uh, before the match even begins, Seidel gets in between Uh, Martin, who's in the ring, and Rush, who's on the outside, who's trying to coach him and and says, you know, this is you and me. This is the third match between us. Ignore what he's got to say. Don't listen to him. We've talked on numerous occasions about Rush poisoning the mind, quite possibly, of Dante Martin. Of course, this was meant to be a tag match with the Sidal brothers. Um, But with it now being a match, uh, a singles match in the trilogy of this, uh, early on... It's about two guys who wrestled each other a lot before and know how to counter each other's moves. Lots of counter exchanges. For example, Seidel, both of them try and snap mares, but Seidel tried to snap mares on Martin and he landed on his feet, much to Matt Seidel's surprise. Um, Dante Martin defies gravity time and time again. Uh, springboard shotgun drop kick off the top, sends Seidel out to the floor and uh, Martin follows that up with a springboard moonsault to the floor to take us to the break. When we come back, uh, they're back in the ring going back and forth and Sidal hits uh, Dante Martin with a hook kick. Great sell here as well from Dante Martin off the back of that kick. Um, I talk about him defying gravity because it's a bit where Seidel's, I can't remember what exactly he's doing, but Dante Martin counters with a sunset flip and it felt like he jumped and then about five seconds later, he finally came back down to earth uh, to to get him there for a two count. Uh, he followed that up with a double foot stomp on the chest to Seidel who's standing up uh, a cave-in effectively from uh, like from Cameron Grimes in NXT uh, to get a near fall on the back of that. I, that I was, I was going to be trying to be good there. I was trying to gloss over it. Yeah, carry guys, baby, to the moon. I got it over with my niece and nephew this weekend. Now they won't stop saying it. Get in. Good stuff. Um, the parents hate you. Oh, absolutely. But no change there. Um, Dante Martin goes up top, but Seidel catches him with a brilliant jumping run. I love that Seidel. He's so good. Uh, and Seidel goes for the lightning spiral, but Martin, who's been hit with this before, flips through it, lands on his feet, and then hits a flipping stunner to Seidel, then goes to the outside at the encouragement of Leo Rush, hits the double springboard moonsault onto Seidel, and gets him in a nice tight pinning combination For the three count, for the victory, Leo Rush celebrating with his new client, I suppose you'd call him, post-match. Great trilogy match, this.
2: Another great match. Totally different to what came before and after. What a beautiful compliment to itself this entire show was. I loved it. There's not too much to say about it, at least in contrast to the first match. We saw some wonderful spots. And they were incredibly exhilarating and exciting and physics-defying to the point where you just get really involved and you get really excited and your blood pumps, your heart races, all the rest of it. What's awesome, particularly about Dante Martin, is that it's not just this incredible athletic skill he has. It's legitimately like trying to defend against a drone strike. He's not just doing cool things to pop people. He can get himself so high up in the air Mm. and leap into these incredible positions that when he comes down at you and performs a head scissors, it's like there's literally no defending that. It's like a bomb coming down onto your head and you're knackered. He can't defend against the very best aerial attacks because they're so fast and they're from so high up. He's elevating this art form like as we speak. It's not a hot take, this, but in, what, two or three years, he could be the very best professional wrestler on the planet. He's such a spectacular. He doesn't just do all of this strategically. Again, you can't defend against this. Therefore, these are great wrestling moves to do because he's going to beat you with them because he's going to hit them more often than not. It's the exhilaration. It's the strategy. It's putting everything together. Like, he needs to put 30 pounds of muscle on. No, not the 30, that's ridiculous. Between 15 and 20 pounds of muscle. I'm going to say
1: 50, then. That's ridiculous. 50, that's 50.
2: ridiculous. He needs to basically, look, he needs to get the Ricochet body because he's already got Ricochet's incredible ability to just take your breath away. And some of his stuff already kind of looks a little bit better than Ricochet's. But Ricochet's got that pack esque quality where because he's really muscular and because he's like, his stuff just looks more impactful with that frame and his precision and his power. If he can do more things to level up his power game to make it look like it hurts a bit more, because as spectacular as that sort of springboard and the springboard moonsault is, it doesn't have that same register as pack and when he does his um, Orihara moonsault or his Asai moonsault it looks like he's killed the guy on the way down Yeah, Daniel Martin doesn't quite have that yet yeah. but he's got everything else that's got the groundwork to just put on a little bit more muscle and to make everything look like it hurts that bit more because once he got once, I'm just overwhelmed by how great this was I can't get my words out <laughs> when it looks like it hurts more every wrestler gunning for those wrestler of the air lists is in trouble
1: yeah, I like completely. In that idiot. side,
2: I was awesome in this match as well. Absolutely awesome in this match.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get to the main event, let's just quickly address that whole fans leaving early thing. I know we've spoken about it time and time again. Has your opinion changed about the fact that they just maybe need to bite the bullet and, and go live with Rampage? Is, is that the
2: solution still? No, I think the solution is you cut short a lot of dark elevation. You just do that. You don't need to start padding shows you just don't I don't think so particularly when a lot of these winning streaks or or look who's been ranked and you're thinking where Mm. where does this come from I don't necessarily think you need two to three hours of television every single week to fulfill a purpose that a lot of people complain doesn't mean anything and not in bad faith either. Like I know people who genuinely want this product to succeed. They're not just trying to be dicks, like concerned trolls or just out-and-out out trolls on Twitter, like people who want all of this to be a 10 rather than a 9 or a 9.5 wrestling promotion.
1: Mm.
2: Cut that out. I have to say it wasn't really noticeable in terms of the reaction, but the second match you could see, oh, they changed the lighting here. And then by the main event, we thought, right, we've blacked out a lot of this arena because Mm. there are are an increasing amount of empty seats to mask. They're still loud. There are production ways around people leaving early. And to be honest, it's the first time I've... I know the crowds have been deader than they were during Dynamite, but this is the first report I've read and have seen evidence of people leaving almost on masse. So I would describe this week as an aberration. But look, here's the thing about... Rampage and the noise and all the rest of it if they can deliver a card this great every week I don't think they'll have any problems anymore but no, the problem exactly. is the shows haven't been this great top to bottom every week there's been this show disrupted the pattern of one blew away awesome thing and then two things that you you could have just seen on Dark Elevation this show was awesome all the way through, more of this more perfection <laughs> I yeah i seen- ask for
1: Like you say, just to reiterate what you say there, you know, I cover this as part of my job. We go into great detail. We study and analyse all this. And even I was thrown in the main event. They were like, Abaddon 14-1 and this year. And I was like, I don't think I've seen a match from Abaddon in 2021, if I'm perfectly honest. So, yeah, I I don't think it means anything. And even, you know, committed AW fans like myself... don't really care um about what goes down on those shows. Uh I think, you know, you can use them to a certain extent, but I think at the same time, yeah, tighten that up if we're gonna I'd rather have that and a bit of, you know, even if it's just stat padding through everyone having a squash match on bloody uh dark elevation. I'd rather that than a tired crowd not giving something the the reaction it deserves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As a like, it's not just, oh, it's a fourth hour of TV, a fifth hour of TV. I can take it or leave it because I know it's not as exciting as Dynamite or Rampage. It's not as if these people who are going on these winning streaks are beating anyone worth a damn. Like, yeah. it starts padding, and I'm glad to go to these lengths, but it does feel like geeky attention to detail. And if that's detracting from your actual live TV performance, then tweak the system. So yeah. Abaddon's beaten some local person from Pittsburgh if in fact she won at the elevation tapings at Pittsburgh. It's yeah. It's, it's it's like a nice number, it's nice to track it. It's nice that it ultimately means something in the end. It just feels like increasingly it feels like it's too much worth the bother. Yeah, it's it's like when I say,
1: "Oh, I, I saw Anthony Joshua box live." Who got oh what fight was it? You know, was it the, you know, the fat lad or was it, you know, Klitschko? Or, don't know, just some, just some guy. They just, just brought, some guy. Some, brought some guy out and honestly he looked like a lad being led to the slaughter. It's <laughs> just some bum coming out and just going, oh, here we go. Think of the payday. And he just took his head off. And it's the same thing. I appreciate it. Like you say, I'd rather that than they just said, you know, like when they did it with Goldberg and they were like, well, he's won 16 matches this week. And you're like, has he? Or have you just added yeah. another number on? But um, but yeah, if it's the detriment of, of the, the main shows, I completely agree. Anyway, let's talk about the main event, uh, which beforehand had the back and forth between Britt Baker and Abaddon. Of course, if Abaddon wins this match, she gets a title shot. Uh, it's the face-to-face. Uh, Mark Henry asks her a question and she spits up blood in response. And Mark Henry says... It looks like Abaddon doesn't have a comment, <laughs> which I really liked. Uh, and then he turns to, to Baker and, uh, you know, there's Jamie Hater and, and Rebel Reba. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're zombies as well. And Britt promises to send Abaddon straight back to hell uh, and continue to rise in the women's division. Whilst all this is going on, Abaddon has left, by the way. So Mark Henry says, well, Abaddon's gone. So it sounds like there's been enough dog. It's time. For the main event. And here we go. It is the main event. It is the uh, trick or treat, no DQ match, Abaddon versus Britt Baker. Abaddon crawling out as part of her terrifying entrance. Uh, Early on in the match, she hits a stunner and uh, Baker has to fall out to the floor, get help from from Jamie Hater and from Rebel and Recover, show goes to commercial. When we come back, Abaddon is in complete control. Uh, there's been a chair introduced. Abaddon is uh, hitting a sent on onto the chair, which is on top of Baker, and then she wedges the chair in the corner. But Baker reverses and sends Abaddon headfirst into it. Uh, as a result of that, Rebel and Hater pull Abaddon out of the ring, and uh, they've set up a table on the outside. And there's a back and forth trying to put each other through it. Baker hits a swinging neckbreaker on Abaddon onto the table, which refuses to break. So Baker says, right, enough of this. Suplexes Abaddon onto the table. And again, it doesn't goddamn break. I still will say this. I sometimes enjoy it far more when the table doesn't break because it looks like that absolutely wrecks. Well, uh, it didn't actually affect Abaddon that much. She just sat up, no soul. both of those things. Uh, She goes under the ring, pulls out a bag, and yes, pulls out a whole load of thumbtacks in the ring they are both trying to slam each other into it uh baker goes for one and abaddon grabs her hair to stop her being slammed into it uh but abaddon eventually drives baker into them uranuggis into the tax uh and gets a two count off the back of it um just rolling around in the tax i always think that think that's even worse than the move sometimes just moving about on tax yeah um baker fights back though throws the chair at abaddon's face and then wedges her head into the chair, curb stomps it. And as she turns around and gets the glove, she turns around and Abaddon has sat back up after a maneuver that the commentary was saying could well have broken her down neck. So um, Baker panics, super kicks Abaddon, gets a handful of tacks, shoves that in her mouth, super kicks her again, goes for lockjaw, and like we called on the preview, hesitates at putting her hands in a in Zombie's mouth. So Abaddon grabs Baker's hand and shoves it in her mouth. Herself, so just, you can bite down on it. Uh, Baker just freaks out at this point. She's trying anything to get away with it. She couldn't care less about the locked jaw. Then Hater and Rebel jump up onto the apron. Uh, Abaddon bites Rebel in the face and Baker steals one, rolling up Abaddon for the victory. i got mixed emotions. I've got to be honest about this match, Sid. I, 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 You know, I'll allow it because it's halloween i just don't you know it's a difficult sell uh this sort of character within wrestling having said that i thought with what they had and especially off the back watching that goddamn trickle street fright on smackdown i thought this was a, a hell of a conclusion to the show what did you
2: make of it all i loved everything except the finish shockingly good like shockingly good i'm no real fan of that abaddon character mm-hmm. uh, the nicest thing i can say about it is that it has been established that, well, it's very easy to infer that she's not, in fact, a supernatural presence. Yeah, She just is mad enough to deem herself one, and that's almost as scary as the same thing because she's willing to take deranged punishment. She doesn't register it in her crazed head as deranged, but she's not actually a living, dead entity.
1: Like um, is it Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss? He thinks he's a vampire. Is that right? Never, I've never seen it. Oh, it's the one where he does the alphabet, I think. You need that's the clip you'll remember with with go and watch it tonight. There's your homework.
2: No. Okay. <laughs> um, so it doesn't break the universe, but still not my thing. This is the best possible version of an Abaddon match because you've got a star in it, you've got shortcuts in it, and everything other than the finish, I was just Enthralled to, I thought it was so much fun. It was so well done. It basically went from pretty obvious artless plunder spots that were nonetheless fun because Abaddon, who isn't the best worker, hence why she had this match on the specific holiday with this specific trappings to try and obscure that she's not great. She nonetheless like really registered and timed very well the pop up back from the dead spots. Mm-hmm. Like shouldn't just do it. Shouldn't take too long. I think I thought she nailed the perfect time with which to
1: do her
2: bit. The finish sucked. Like a distraction finish. Mm. Just killer by pulmonizing her neck. Like, how much of a what a badass way to go out. Like, that's the way to do it in any professional wrestling match. If you're going to go out, we saw in the opener. If you're gonna go out, do it with your finger pointed at the guy who's putting you down. One last measure of defiance, like. That's awesome. For the book, I reviewed um, John Moxey versus Brody Lee from Double or Nothing. Possibly my greatest finishing sequence of all time. Just inc- how could you leave that match knowing that Brody Lee's been defeated definitively without thinking he's still a total monster? Mm. What a finishing sequence! And what a finishing sequence it would have been had they done the awesome um, lockjaw spot. And then Brooke was like, well, I'll not put my hand in the mouth, so I'm just going to have to break her neck instead. That mm-hmm. would have ruled. Unfortunately, the structure was all wrong by the finish. But as I said, Abaddon did really well to time those spots. The crowd ate them up. It was fun enough, as a plunder brawl always is, if it's timed well. And the goddamn spot, which I believe you told me that you booked when she didn't want to do the lockjaw because she was going to bite her hands, phenomenally inspired from both Jerry Lynn Kenny Omega, Britt Baker, Abaddon, and in fact, Adam Wilborn. Awesome <laughs> yes. spot. I just wish she went, Ugh. I was about to break her neck because I don't want to lose my hand. Yeah. The distraction finish sucked. But honestly, I was so impressed by this total fun over delivery of a match that I'm just going to remember how impressive the actual match was, even if the result was a total cop out. Yeah, it's one of the. Abaddon, I think less of the booking that I would have the character had they just done the finish with a pulmonized neck.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those, isn't it? I get it, that a, a roll-up, you know, stealing one, as much as they do it on other shows with the baby face diving out to the wrap. And AEW have done that on occasion. But I think, you know, it's 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 more allowable when it's a heel doing it. But even so, I felt like, yeah, there's a there's another avenue you can do with that, whether it be absolutely just to break a neck, hit her with you finish her eight times or whatever, whatever you want to do, like you say, put her down, get the pin, get out a dodge, and then she sits up and you know that's the end of the show, sort of thing. I don't it shouldn't lose anything, in my opinion. But aside from that, like you say, a, a great episode of of Rampage. And uh yeah, more of this sort of thing on Friday night, Sige.
2: Yes, doing the air perfect show every single week. I mean it can't happen.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It can't happen.
2: It can't happen. Um, But yeah, no, I thought it was an awesome, awesome show.
1: Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And you can buy his book or pre-order his book, I should say, right now, at whatculture.bigcartel.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WWE, uh, And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Our review of SmackDown, our preview of Raw, is available right now. And our review of Raw will be there tomorrow as well, of course. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hold up. What
0: was that?